As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, welcome, thanks for tuning in. This is the Athletic Football Tactics Podcast with myself, Ali Maxwell, with Tom Warville and the returning Michael Cox. Michael, good to have you back. Did you have a good break? What did you get up to? Uh, very little, but uh, yeah, it was good. Thank you. Uh, listened to the podcast and enjoyed it. Thanks to Mark for stepping in. I think he's back with us uh, next week while Tom's taking his break. But uh, yeah, I always feel like this is when the season gets going, really, when the transfer window's done that slightly annoying international break is out of the way. And uh, yeah, Champions League starting this week. So looking forward to it. Tom, you were working hard. We both were while Michael was recharging, sunning himself. What have you been working on in the last week or so? Yeah, I was working on a big piece to do with Mourinho's 1,000 games, um, which was a a labour of love at the end, but um, tons of stuff to do with his, his time at Liera to start with uh, the Porto, um, both stints at Chelsea, kind of just going through his whole career and looking at the different teams he managed, the players within those teams, uh, and a bunch of stats that I could find out from there. So um, yeah, a, a beast of a piece, if I say so myself, and you can read it on The Athletic now. What was the most surprising discovery, the most surprising stat that you dug out looking across Mourinho's whole thousand game career? That's a good question. Um, I think it was just going through some of the players uh and just having a massive hit of nostalgia when looking through some of the squads. You know, Porto, 2003-2004. Uh, I think you've got Pedro Mendes there. You've got Nuno Espirito Santo. You've got another bloke called Andre Villas-Boas who isn't the Andre Villas-Boas who played three minutes for him. So uh, <laughs> there was a lot of kind of fun going down memory, uh, you know, memory lane and, and reminiscing about old players I would have watched when I was a kid. So uh, I think that for me was, it's not a stat, uh, it's an emotion, which is quite rare. Um, but <laughs> that's, I think, the uh, my favourite thing about the whole piece. Michael, a-, a thousand games into a remarkable managerial career, where do you think Mourinho's at right now? He's, he's outside of England for the first time in a while with Roma. Uh, any ideas on how he's getting on over there and how that fit seems to be? It seems to be going quite well, actually. I always think of Roma as one of the more adventurous, attack-minded Italian sides, so I wasn't sure about the fit there, but it seems to be working well. I saw the game against Sassuolo on, on Sunday night on uh, the new show on BT, 
with James Richardson and James Horncastle, which was very good. And, and the game was very good as well. Late drama there. So, yeah, they seem to be pretty, pretty exciting so far. Uh, I've been watching a couple of games and, I mean, Tommy Abraham's been really, really impressive, um, both in terms of his build-up play and just his runs off the ball as well. He's looked really good. Um, and Lorenzo Pellegrini as well, I think, is someone who we'll be talking a lot about come the end of the season. Mm. Um, seemingly refreshed and recharged and just tearing things up under Mourinho and putting up really, really good numbers. So if that continues after four games, um, yeah, he'll be definitely one to watch come the end of the season. So on the pod today, we are, as you will have seen in the title, no doubt, tackling the topic of assists. And I'm going to introduce the topic and try and explain why we're talking about this today with the help of both of you. Because over the last 24, 48 hours, there's been quite a lot of discussion around assists and expected assists and how to measure creativity and creative players and those who are performing at a very, very high level in terms of putting on chances for their teammates. And two stats about Paul Pogba have really helped to highlight this. Michael, why don't you tell me the one that came from Opta? Well, I assume a lot of people will have seen that uh, Pogba's got seven assists so far. Um, which is the most anyone has managed in the first four games of a Premier League season, which sounds pretty impressive. And Tom, it's not the only way to measure player creativity. Why is Pogba something of an early outlier this season? Um, Well, from those seven assists or from the chances he's created, he's got a total of one expected assist, um, which uh, is looking at the, the expected goals of the chances that he's created and kind of adding it all up. So overall, given the, the chances he's created, you'd expect him to have a single assist, but instead he's got seven. And when I say there's been a lot of chat about this, Paul Pogba's own manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, was asked about Pogba's seven assists. And Solskjaer said, but what does an assist consist of? A square pass and Bruno hits the top corner? Or when Paul plays a great pass through and Mason runs past? Paul's always been a top passer, one of the best in European football. I don't count assists. It's all social media. Now, I quite like that quote until the last four words, which I thought were a bit bizarre. Michael, I don't think counting assists is down to social media. This is something that's been around for a while. In fact, I'm I'm quite interested to know when counting assists became a thing because it feels like the the type of thing that uh, older football fans might turn their nose up even at the concept of counting an assist. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that Properly counting assists first did come from fantasy football in the kind of 1990s when people needed more stats to base scoring around. So, I mean, it did it did come from that. I mean, it is a relatively modern thing in terms of having like official assists and the Premier League counting it and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure it is social media, although increasingly social media does seem to be using football statistics in slightly devious ways to make points about certain players. So... Uh, I do understand that perspective. But yeah, relatively one thing. I mean, certainly in the last decade or so, it's it's really come to the fore. Um, but I remember on the playground, people used to talk about like assists, you know, in in, in mm. that kind of respect. So um, yeah, not an entirely new thing. Yeah, I wanted to pick back up on the point of, of Solskjaer saying he's a top passer, which I think if he's using assists to measure him being a top passer, I don't think that's quite the... The metric to use, um, and certainly there are there are other ways of of measuring passing. Um, I just thought it was interesting that he's he's jumped straight away to assist being the only way of doing that, which uh, of course it isn't. Mm. And and Tom, you were tweeting about this over the last twenty four hours, and I was interested, intrigued to see uh, Sky Sports 
Premier League presenter Dave Jones reply to you on this very matter and say assists feel very unsatisfactory. There has to be a better way to measure creative output. I think all of us who watch Sky Sports Premier League coverage, dare I say it, Sky Sports EFL coverage as well, knows that they are constantly looking for ways to better talk about the game, analyse the game, um, make it both uh, accessible for the average football fan, but also to give the the depth that I think modern day football fans are after and, and want. So that's really what we're wanting to discuss today. A discussion of assists and, and how much they are still relevant. A discussion of expected assists and anything else in the uh, data side of things, advanced metrics that can help us understand better creativity, essentially, those who are setting up chances for their teammates. We're going to talk about the both the basic and the advanced metrics. Tom, what is expected assists? Why should this be where our eyes are turning towards rather than the basic assist number? I think the best way to explain expected assists is probably through an example. So, Ali, let's say we're playing in a game, I pass the ball to you from around, I don't know, 16 yards out in the middle of the box. There's a 35% chance of of you scoring, so therefore there's an XG figure for the shot of 0.35. I will get attributed the credit of creating a chance that's worth 0.35 XG, and therefore my expected assist figure will be 0.35. So that's how you do that. It's literally just um, connecting all the passes to the shots. What's the XG of the the shots? And then giving that credit to the original passer of the ball. Michael, of all the advanced metrics for the layman, I feel like expected assist is is one of the ones that when you have it described and explained to you, makes the most sense. You can really understand the value in this. Yeah, I think it's almost easier to grasp than expected goals because everyone knows that assists is completely dependent upon whether the the striker finishes the chance or not. So yeah, once you take that out of the equation and you're just measuring the the quality of the situation the uh, the attacker is in, yeah, I think it makes perfect sense. Because of course, Tom, if you are prioritising the assist number over, for example, the expected assist number, whether you're a fan or whether perhaps you're working in a recruitment team within a football club, if you focus only on the assists, you might really be giving credit to a player based on the finishing of the teammates that they've passed to rather than the quality of their passing itself. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also the kind of luck factor in there as well of... Um, you know that finishing may not be consistently good they've just got lucky in a small sample of shots and scored more than than you'd expect so um, yeah it's an interesting interesting thing between like you know people always trying to put things in a kind of scouting lens and thinking a bit thinking of, of players and teams through how you know scouts would think of it and how you know teams and their recruitment teams would think about players and on the flip side there is just something more basic and understandable about assists um which just makes it you know makes the game more accessible for for a lot of people who don't spend their time reading about stats listening to podcasts like this so the xa number is always the same as the xg number now in terms of the the obvious issues because nothing tends to be perfect in uh, in advanced metrics in the same way that Solskjaer makes the point with assists that pogba could make a 2 yard pass to bruno he sticks it in the top corner from 30 yards Pogba gets credited with an assist. I suppose the equivalent for expected assists, which doesn't feel ideal, is if I pass to you a two-yard pass and you then dribble past four players, maybe Messi would be a better example here. If you then beat four men, created essentially a one-on-one chance, a high-value chance for yourself and scored it or not, I would still be credited, I assume, with the expected assists 
to match the chance that you had rather than where I passed you the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I guess it's, you know, no, there's no silver bullet when it comes to analytics and numbers and they all kind of have their flaws. And that is definitely the the one example to look out for there. Um, like you say, it's quite quite rare, but the kind of division of credit in the first example is, is correct, right? I mean, Pogba creates a very low quality chance of Bruno who's finishing does the rest. Whereas the latter, um, you know, the player who runs through in goal and creates a much higher quality chance deserves far more credit. And therefore that's where the metric kind of breaks in inverted commas, um, which is fine because that's just, you know, like I said, there's no, there's no silver bullet, perfect metric. And that's why, you know, we always talk about different numbers to measure and capture different things. Well, and of course, XA is not the only thing that we can look at in this sphere in terms of very basic uh, stats. We also have key passes and chances created is that the same thing? And what? how do you measure a key pass or a chance created? Sorry, how do they measure, not you personally, how do Opta, for example, measure that? I think that initially a key pass was all chances that were created that didn't end in an assist. So we think of if a chance created is all, all passes that lead to a shot, a key pass is one that didn't lead to a goal, an assist is one that did. And a chance created is just kind of like combining all of them together. So those... Uh, the kind of naming conventions for those have become a bit blurred in recent times and I think either or works and I don't really see the use in just measuring the shots that don't end in goals you want to kind of want all of them in a in a big bucket really um, but yeah those are essentially like I said um, any pass that leads to a, a shot on goal um, and it's regardless really of the intention of the passer for the receiver to shoot so that Pogba example at the weekend is perfect you could question the intention that Pogba's you know creating something for Bruno there he just so happens to shoot and therefore he still gets a chance created um, irrespective of yeah of that in the first place. I get the feeling that you yourself will have left behind assists, chances created, key passes, probably some time ago. Uh, we talked about expected assists, but in the in terms of advanced metrics, there's also things like expected threat, XT, as it's known in shorthand, or possession value. Do these come close to achieving what we're trying to achieve here, trying to properly measure the quality of a player's passing and chance creation? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the, the key term to all this really is, is outcome bias. Um, outcome bias is, is judging the uh, kind of a certain action or event based on what happens at the end of it, um, irrespective of, of everything else. So let's say, um, I mean, yeah, assists, assists or goals are a perfect example where a pass that that leads to a an assist is a great pass in this example, and one that doesn't um, is is bad or we don't value it. And I think those instances extend to a lot of other other things in football and in life. Um, you know, shots that don't become goals. There's a, an outcome bias that we we rate players who score a lot of goals, but therefore, uh, what about the ones who who don't but equally get into really good positions? And that's why expected goals is really useful because it fills in the gap and shows you kind of the players who still do everything else right up until the point of finishing, um, which is when you have the debate on like finishing skill and things like that, which is a different podcast. Um, so I think what expected threat does to bring it back to that is um, it kind of helps you remove the outcome bias of making passes into dangerous areas. Some players and some teams won't be able to kind of create a chance or score from there because of lower quality teammates or the way they play or something like that. But you know from watching the game that that pass is valuable and useful. And that's what you want to capture. So there are going to be similar passes. Let's say the one that Pogba made um, at the weekend to Bruno. That pass will be made thousands of times over the season, won't become an assist. And it doesn't really increase Manu's chances of scoring. 
and that's what you want to measure. Whereas there'll be other passes, which are passes into the area, which don't lead to a chance created or an assist, but you do want to capture their the you know their ability to potentially create a chance. And this is where expected threat and possession value, they're trying to measure increasing the chance of scoring based on your actions. So it really, football is so low scoring, you're just trying to create all these kind of fancy and new metrics to try and give credit to things that could happen, even if they don't happen all that often. Michael, we all watch a lot of football on a lot of different broadcasting channels, a lot of media platforms. For someone like Sky Sports, how would you like to see them start to approach their discussion of creativity, moving away from just pure assist numbers, even if that's what we've been using for 20 years or so? Do you think it's it's viable and kind of accessible for the average fan to start maybe putting the XA number of a player in brackets after their number of assists. So for example, Pogba seven brackets, one XA to give that extra context. But yeah, I mean, I still think in broad terms, using assists is, is fine, really. I think for most people, for, for general football audience, that's pretty much what, what people are interested in, how many goals a, a player has created. But yeah, certainly you can go advanced and use, you know, as Tom mentioned earlier, chances created and key passes and expected assists. I think they all have their value in, in some way. But certainly expected assists, yeah, it's, it's quite easy for people to visualise. So maybe increasingly that can be used. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The good news is, you know, some advanced metrics, I think, knowing where to find that information for the average fan has sometimes been a little intimidating. And at times over the last few years, Tom, also quite literally impossible. A lot of um, particular underlying data is is inaccessible, certainly for free for the average fan. But I just wanted to flag up to anyone listening who hasn't been delving into XA, expected assist numbers, that this stuff is now publicly available. It's a great time for those of you who are interested in delving a little bit deeper in putting your Tom Warville hat on uh, and doing your best Warville impression because two sites particularly will give you expected assist data for every single player in the top five Euro leagues uh, and in the WSL as well, particularly FB Ref, which is definitely a site that I use a lot for my research. I'm sure Tom does as well. I believe that their data comes from the company Statsbomb, uh, which we would consider to be a pretty good stuff to use but also Opta have made some really good in-depth data available for all fans on dataviz.theanalyst.com you can have up-to-date 
uh, reviews and last season's numbers as well, including expected assists and so much more for all the major leagues and the three EFL leagues as well as the WSL. So this stuff is not, Tom, completely inaccessible now to the average fan and therefore no excuse not to be delving in and understanding which players are uh, maybe massively overperforming their XA and which maybe can feel a little bit hard done by. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely um, great to have such an array of publicly accessible data now. I mean, when I started writing about football using numbers, uh, I think I've spoken about this on the podcast before, that there's kind of this bootleg data set of Optus going around that people would share because it just wasn't accessible online at all. Um, and people would kind of grab the the data from certain websites and, and send it around. And there was kind of this, uh, yeah, that was the only real way of accessing this sort of data and then kind of creating your own models on top of it. But um, I will touch on one thing, which uh, I've mentioned before, is I said, you know, expected assists is the XG of the the chance that's created. But in Opta parlance, they name it the same thing, but it's actually a different model entirely, <laughs> which confuses things slightly. So in, in Opta's, um, it's a model which kind of predicts based on the start and end location of a pass, how likely that pass will become an assist. So it's not looking at the it doesn't care if a pass is leading to a shot or not it looks at all passes and really this is kind of one of these non-shot uh, models kind of like possession value or expected threat so it doesn't care about if it leads to a, uh, a shot or a goal all it looks at is where's the pass started from where's it going to and looking at all numbers historically how often have passes like that become assists um, and the reason for that model was for certain players who make passes into areas and they don't maybe have the teammates or they don't have kind of the, um, I guess it's more the teammates or the style of play, um, you can give them a bit more credit. So I remember, I think back in 1617, Jordan Shakiri at Stoke was an immense passer of the ball, but he didn't really have the teammates to kind of convert his passes into dangerous areas into good goal scoring opportunities. So Mm. didn't get many assists, but by this measure, he was adding a lot of value. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a couple of different approaches. I think I prefer the the one where you look at the XG of the chance and give that to the player just because it's a, a bit easy to understand. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's a great resource and um, means everyone can kind of look at this stuff and be involved in the debate and there's no kind of uh, issue issue arising from that. When you're looking at expected assists or on a more basic level, chances created or key passes, how important do you think it is to be able to separate those passes made from dead ball situations, corners, indirect free kicks, and those from open play. Because I know from doing very basic data scouting, let's say in the EFL, that you can consider, if you don't dig a little deeper, someone to be the premier creative player in a division and then realise that 90% of the shots that they have assisted were headers from corners or free kicks. And there's nothing wrong with that, but perhaps a little like separating penalties from goal records, it just helps you to understand who's getting more opportunities to create and who is doing it, you know, in the, the hubbub of general open play. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really important um, because it's around kind of, and the social thing, just going back to that quickly, it's really important to kind of frame what is the question you're actually trying to answer. So if we're talking about the most creative players, are we talking just about open play? Are we talking about set pieces? And if you're not fully getting the data right in those situations, you can have some players who look far better than they actually are. Um, So if you look at 
uh, just on FBRF now, in the top five leagues this season, in terms of total XA, Trent Alexander-Arnold's top with 2.4. But we know that he takes a lot of set pieces, so it, I think it's important to understand with that, yes, he's got great um, you know, quality of delivery. Yes, he gets into dangerous areas and does make good passes, but there might be other players who actually do it to a similar level or, or more so, but actually don't have their numbers padded slightly by their set piece delivery. Um, and also with set pieces, you could argue that, you know, being able to create chances from set pieces is important. Of course it is. But there's a bit of a bias where if I'm putting the ball into a guy, to a you know group of players who are good in the air, that's an advantage over someone who's putting the ball into a team which are bad in the air and actually not going to create anything, even if my delivery is really good. So, yeah, I think that most of the time when we're talking about creativity and uh, and you know, things to do with that. We want, mostly, we want open play uh, mm-hmm. and we want to be looking at passes which um, really aren't from aren't from set pieces because they're a different skill entirely, I'd say. I, I reckon if I was taking corners for Burnley, my XA numbers would be all right. But <laughs> I don't think I'd create anything in open play because I, <laughs> I wouldn't know what situations to get the ball from. But just whip a few corners in. I think anyone could do all right with XA, right? Yeah, I think that you see Ashley Westwood and Matt Loughton on on some you know XA stuff, and also when I was looking at expected threat, I mean they get the ball onto the head of Wooden Barnes a lot, and you know and Tarkovsky as well. So you you know Burnley is such an outlier, but you're able to pad your stats a bit more because you're putting it into a group of guys who are you know the very best at kind of what they do. Um, I think Westwood, we've spoken about him before; he's a bit underrated. Um, but yeah, he's definitely someone who gets more numbers than he perhaps would in other teams because of the players that he's playing with. This is an uber-specific equivalent to the question that I certainly used to talk to my friends about back in the the glory days of Barcelona uh, under Pep Guardiola when their front three was... or when Pedro was breaking through and was a part of that front three and it was just the perfect team and they created so many chances and Pedro seemed to always be tapping them in at the back post or running onto through balls. And the big question, which is a bit like that, Michael, was how many goals would I score if I played (laughs) all of the minutes that Pedro played for this Barcelona side? And a bit like you, I sort of thought just, just by sort of process of elimination I probably would have the ball squared to me on the goal line at least three times that season if I just happened to be playing and and Messi had beaten five players you reckon you scored three goals yeah what do you reckon higher or lower I I don't think I'd get any really I do, but, I, no, I just, my, I just this is getting... nothing to do. Uh, this is nothing to do with my skill. But if I am playing yeah. those minutes, I have to be somewhere, right? And given the extent of Barcelona's possession, given the extent of of how they move teams around, I actually think with them mostly building up play down the right side with Xavi, <laughs> Alves, and Messi. And, and, and therefore, and also the added bonus of the opposition not caring at all about me and probably leaving me alone for the most part. I think if I just position myself on the back post, I would just get some rebounds or some cutbacks anyway. I'm, I'm calling it three. Okay, well, the opposition not caring about that, I take your point, that does bring something different <laughs> into the equation. I was expecting them to be thinking that you were Pedro and therefore <laughs> thinking you were a threat. But like, I mean, so much of... Getting goals and getting assists is getting into the right positions, right? Mm. And making the right runs and that kind of thing. And I, but I think if you put me in that Barcelona side, I'd be completely lost. But a dead ball, I know exactly where I have to be to take a corner. 
right? And I can whip it in. So I just think with with dead ball situations, you're taking all that to a certain extent. You're taking football intelligence and spatial awareness completely out of the equation, and it's mm. just about delivering a pass. So that's why I think set pieces, your average Joe could do all right, but would then create absolutely nothing in open play. Says a lot about our respective footballing self-confidence and self-esteem that in in this I'm playing for Barcelona the greatest club side ever to exist and you're taking set pieces for Burnley Tom you're quite a big guy Sam Allardyce's Bolton is that what springs to mind for you uh yeah potentially or or uh to be fair given my height I'm actually quite crap in the air so it's <laughs> it's not the right team to be playing on, I there's no team for you there's not I'll I'll sit in the stands and with my laptop maybe best I've got one more quite tough question for you, I'm afraid, Tom. And it's it's about it's about justice for deep lying playmakers, I suppose. Justice for midfielders who we would consider to be good creative passers, but whose passes are very rarely made to the person who makes the eventual shot. So if, for example, Xavi in this example, although I'm sure he did pick up plenty of assists the value of his ball between fullback and centre-back to the onrushing Alves, who then picks up the assist for rolling it to uh, Alejandro Maxwell at the back post for a tap-in. Um, how best can we measure, or, or what's the best option currently available for us to measure these sorts of, of passes beyond expected assists where that wouldn't show up? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think for, for players like this, mainly we're looking at progressing the ball upfield, right, and getting into dangerous areas and then Really, after that, their job's kind of done, um, and you can let the the actual guys whose job it is to to beat players and work well in tight spaces and all that stuff in the attacking third. That's on them to deal with. Um, so, I mean, initially the big one was looking at passes into the final third, um, and obviously that's that's important. But you can also get a pass into the final third from anywhere. So I could literally stand on the line between kind of the middle third and the final third and pass over to kind of Michael on the right wing, a 10-yard pass, and that would be a pass into the final third. Mm. But that's not quite the same as the pass that Pogba made into Mason Greenwood against Leeds, which was from deep and kind of perfectly weighted into his path. They're both passes into the final third, but one is far better than the other. So that's kind of one measure. It's more basic. Um some of the others that we've seen just using event data, which is just all the all the events of the ball, um, are what you call progressive passes. Um, uh, the kind of definition, and those again are on, on FB ref, uh, and the definition of that is a pass which moves play at least 10 yards further upfield um, than any point that has been the last six passes. So let's say we're kind of doing a bit of tiki-taka, passing it around, not really moving anywhere, and then I kind of open my body up and push it forwards, more than 10 yards further upfield, kind of you'll see that is the kind of progressive pass of that sequence. Um, and that's the one that's really opened up play and moved us forward. So that is another means of, of measuring passes that get the team upfield, but it's without this bias of like just passing it slightly over the, the line into the final third or something like that. Um, and then some of the metrics which take into account tracking data or data which has the positions of all the players on the pitch. You can look at line-breaking passes. You can look at passes into space. You can look at all the stuff which is more based on all the positions of the players on the pitch and mm. have a bit more of the, the kind of game context involved in them. Um, packing numbers as well are, are some interesting ones which you look at the number of players that a pass takes out of the game. Um, and there was a, a pass I pointed out on Twitter on Sunday morning by Thomas Partey, which was in the lead up to Arsenal's goal uh, against Norwich, where he kind of 
really nicely disguises a pass which takes out four midfielders into Saka. Um, Saka, I think, gets the ball out wide to Pepe, who uh, tries his tries his best to kind of not score and then Aubameyang taps it in so there's a few kind of options there which I think are most interesting for guys who are sitting deep and just trying to get the ball forwards uh, and yeah those three are probably my 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 main three okay good stuff I, I want to go back to Paul Pogba and the concept of having seven assists from a, a cumulative one expected assist Michael are there any reverse Pogbas are there players who can feel pretty hard done by, who create a ton of chances and have them missed by their teammates? Who can we pour one out for here? Well, it goes back to what we just spoke about, really, in terms of, you know, you mentioned deep-lying passers who are creative players but don't always get the assists. For example, Jorginho's first season. And it's worth remembering, you know, at the moment, Jorginho is being spoken about as a potential Ballon d'Or winner. But in his first season, people were just saying, what does he do? He just passes sideways. He went through that entire season under Sarri without getting an assist. But he did actually get 3.2 expected assists. And there are other players who got around that mark who got seven or eight assists, which does show that it is, to a certain extent, a little bit random. The best I found from uh, last season in European football, where we have obviously more than four games worth of data, was uh, Luis Alberto for Lazio, who I think is a really lovely little player, plays a kind of tucked in, almost free eight kind of role, I suppose we can say. He only got two assists, um, but he ended the season on 8.2 xG uh, of of chances. So clearly the strikers were missing a lot. He actually only got those two assists on match days 33 and 34 with the season. So he nearly went an entire campaign without getting assists, despite being, um, I haven't checked, but I would expect top 10, top 15 most creative players in the league. I, I like the article you did. I think it was... It possibly was the season before last, Michael, uh, halfway through the campaign, looking at which players in the Premier League had racked up the highest XG without scoring. Uh, I think David McGoldrick was was near the top of that one. And then a load of guys who just take a ton of shots from outside the box and, and don't score them. I want to ask a further question about Pogba's general performances, because we've really used his him as an example in framing this discussion about assists and expected assists. But that's not really to, to rate him uh, or his creative passing or otherwise. In fact, that's only one part of his game, of course. But Michael... He's been a, a bit of a hot topic on this pod. Whenever we've spoken about Manchester United, about Solskjaer's style, about those players that fit very well into the tactical system and perhaps those that don't. And particularly when we spoke about the return of Cristiano Ronaldo, Pogba's name kept coming up as the one that potentially didn't really fit the system still. But he has been playing. He's racked up seven assists this season. How have his general performances been? And how, he, how is he filling that role in Solskjaer's system? Yeah, he's been pretty good. I mean, the first two games of the season, I thought he was excellent, but he was playing kind of tucked in from the left, um, which I think was looking like it was going to be his best position. Now, of course, there's Ronaldo who's come into the side, which means Greenwood is is going to play wide. They've got Sancho, they've got um, Rashford and Martial to come back into the side potentially. There's just one less attacking slot available, which means Pogba has shifted and filled to the central midfield role. I think he's been all right. I don't think he's... He's been as effective in the last couple of games. But, I mean, in terms of the creativity, we've used the XA numbers to show that the chances he's created have not been kind of clear-cut goal-scoring chances. But actually, when you look at them, 
they've been great skill to kind of create the space and poke the ball through. I mean, the, the one for Lingard at, at the weekend was a great example of that. And it was actually quite similar, I thought, to the chance he created or the goal he created for Mason Greenwood against Southampton. He's he's maybe not laying it on a plate for strikers, but he is getting the ball from a fairly unthreatening position into a situation where players can have shots at goal, um, which is, of course, what you want from a player in, in his position. But yeah, he's going to be playing central midfield, I think, from now on. And it just, it does show, it's just classic Pogba, isn't it? We're talking about him being good, and yet we're still talking about, well, is he in the, the right position? I just think it's a conundrum that might never be solved at Manchester United. And in fairness to you, I, th- I believe that the general point around that was more focusing on the big games against the bigger teams that they're challenging for the title with and so far Manchester United have had a a kinder schedule uh, than some of those other title challenges but they have got in October and November alone a run of games that goes uh, Villa at home, Everton at home, then Leicester away, Liverpool home, Spurs away, Man City at home, Watford away and then Chelsea and Arsenal to finish off November so I, I suppose those games are where the spotlight will really be on Solskjaer's tactical system, Pogba's fit within it. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think Pogba's a central midfielder in a two. It's it's working against lesser teams. But yeah, it's, it's going to be the big games, which they haven't really had yet, where it's going to be tested more. Um, I think to a certain extent, it's not just about his, his role in the system, but just about the positions he's getting balls in. I think he's an interesting player because some of the best passes he plays are... Uh, you know, not assist. He's quite good at floating the ball over the top of the defence from kind of close to the halfway line, which of course being in central midfield does bring that ability. But there are obviously moments where I, I think defensively he's a, a bit of a liability, which to be fair can be an issue out wide as well. I don't think he's particularly good at tracking fullbacks either. So yeah, it's it's the usual thing with Pogba really. I think he's a better passer from deep actually than than Bruno is at times, especially some of the the ones that stick in my mind the most are where Bruno's got a runner ahead of him and he doesn't quite connect with the pass. And I think sometimes Pogba is actually better in those situations. And perhaps the way we United play, and like Michael said, all the options that they they have, um, especially with, with Ronaldo now, um, he could be really useful when in kind of unlocking them from deep in those situations, perhaps better than, than they did last season. But um, yeah, I, I'd also echo what Michael said earlier about his ability in type spaces I mean the goal that Lingard scored at the weekend was kind of all Pog was doing and yeah we saw it again uh, against Hampton where he was working well in tight spaces too so uh, yeah it kind of shows the, the range of his passing and the range of his abilities to both be able to play with kind of an open field and a lot of space in front of him but also in those tighter more intricate spaces um, and yeah that's that's only good for Manchester United but of course you want to balance that with the defensive side and they've not really been tested thus far Michael, talk to me about the Premier League season assist record because that's had a bit of buzz due to Pogba's fast start on that front. The the current record is 20 in a season, shared by Thierry Henry and Kevin De Bruyne. How long has this been a thing and how likely Pogba could get up towards an over 20? Yeah, I mean, younger listeners might be surprised to know that when Thierry Henry set that record in 2002-2003, it just wasn't mentioned. We didn't really know he'd done it. There wasn't a public record of assists. Uh, Opta, I'm sure, had tracked it for that season, but I don't think they'd yet worked out the assists, uh, the goals and assists from every Premier League season. So it only emerged really as a record a few years later and became, I guess, relatively well known. But there's been quite a few players in recent years who've been on course to beat it and then fallen short. So 2014-15, when Chelsea won the league, Cesc Fabregas had 13 by the midway point, only needed seven more to equal the record, and he only got five more. 
the next season, Mesut uh, Ozil had managed 15 by the midway point, so it seemed obvious that he only needed five more to equal it. Uh, he tailed off massively, as did Arsenal that season, and he only got three more. Um, and then the season before last, De Bruyne did equal it. He got 11 in the first half of the season and nine after. But it does seem like players who are on course to beat it often tail off. Um, and that maybe shows that assists slightly random, slightly difficult to sustain. You're reliant on other people finishing it, and it does come in bursts. So, I mean, you could you could make a case that Pogba would be on course for, what, God knows, 50 assists this season or something <laughs> like that. Um, I think it's obviously not going to sustain that level. Um, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see whether he does come close to it. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Tom, if you had to take a stab at the probability of Pogba reaching 20. Yeah, so I think if we if we ignore what he's got so far, he's obviously got a seven assist head start. He's got to get 13 more in 34 games, which uh, I think for any player, that's a lot. If we're just thinking that, you know, if there's a bit of luck involved up to this point and some of them really aren't indicative of the quality chance that he's creating. So I don't think it's, it's that likely i'd probably say there's around a 30 to 40 percent chance of it happening um even if you think that ronaldo and greenwood are special finishes and united have got such attacking firepower this season um i think that it'll be a an uphill task but he's got a a big leg up so far um and if he does break it i mean what does he need he needs 14 to break it even he needs 13 to equal um then yeah I'll, i'd be surprised but 30 to 40 percent for me if i'm putting my um mathematical probabilistic hat on is is what I give you on the odds front, Ali. Wow, Michael, football's played on grass, not on spreadsheets. What's your gut tell you? Yeah, I, I don't think you'll do it. I think there's, there's just so much uh, evidence before of players making a good start and then tailing off. I mean, he doesn't have a great record of getting assists in recent seasons. He got three last season, three the season before. Okay, the, the two before that, he was, he was close to double figures. But yeah, I, I just... I think the XA is is the key thing here. He's got one expected XA in uh, four games. And uh, I just don't really see how that will translate to sustaining a level good enough to to get the 20, I'm afraid. That was a joke, what I said about spreadsheets, by the way. I (laughs) am fascinated by advanced metrics. And any time that Tom... Which, which I ask him to do all the time, any time he has shared a spreadsheet with me, it's always been a thing of beauty. Art if you will. Guys, thank you so much for, for talking me through assists, expected assists, uh, chance creation and how we can better measure it. Uh, I think it was a conversation worth having this week of all weeks. Uh, not actually like us to insert ourselves into the 
uh, online narrative of the day, but that worked out well. Uh, and I'm interested to hear from the listeners what they think about this, um, particularly, for example, when we're talking about broadcasting. What would you like to see more of? What do you think is realistic? What do you think is something that Sky Sports, for example, could do to make things both more detailed but remain accessible for the average viewer? What do you think The Athletic could do better? They've got two data writers in Tom Warville and Mark Carey, and they're doing a lot of work, but they're always after feedback. So do get in touch. Uh, and as always, any suggestions for future topics, we are all ears. You can find us all three on Twitter. Do get in touch with any questions, quotes, not quotes. If you want. I, okay, just, well, send I, they, I mean, they, if they want to, they can do. Send us <laughs> motivational <laughs> quotes if you want. Yeah, if you have any motivational quotes, please do send them over as well. Uh, But any queries, questions, notes, do send them over to us. Uh, We look forward to podding again next week. Tom Warville is taking the opportunity to take some time off. So Michael and I, and perhaps a special guest, will get our teeth stuck into something on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. We are part of the Athletic Podcast Network, brought to you by The Athletic, Tom and Michael and so many of their colleagues as well, providing such excellent written content on site. If you're not a subscriber, but you would like to be, then head to theathletic.com forward slash tactics to sign up today. Thanks for listening and join us again next week. The Athletic.